You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. While you were skipping stones, building forts, and flying kites, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to the Little Me Podcast. This is our 25th episode, and we are celebrating with the most fabulous guest ever. She's someone who's been part of my life and the Broadway Workshop family for the past decade. Her Broadway credits include Fosse, Catch Me If You Can, The Look of Love, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Thou Shalt Not, Oklahoma, and Cats. She appeared in the national tours of Flashdance, Starlight Express, and Smokey Joe's Cafe. She is one of the stars of the documentary Every Little Step, chronicling the casting process of A Chorus Line. TV audiences will know her from Lifetime's Dance Moms and as a judge on Abby's Ultimate Dance Competition, as well as her recurring role on the soap opera Another World. She is also featured in the film Isn't It Romantic with Rebel Wilson. She's a mom, an educator, a choreographer, a writer, and a true Broadway legend. Please welcome my friend, Rochelle Rack. Wow. How do you live up to that? I know. It's like... It's a lot when you hear it all together. What a buildup. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. 25th guest. 25th. Yeah, 25th episode. I this love is it. like a special one, Sass. It is. It's like half of my life, Mark. <laughs> so, oh, we're not there yet, right? Your birthday's not quite yet. No, that's what no. I mean. Not yet. We're By not the time yet. this comes out, you'll have had a big birthday, though. So happy <laughs> okay. birthday in advance. Thank you. Okay, so everyone calls you Sass. Before we talk about anything else, tell us how the nickname came to be. I wish it was more interesting than it is. First of all, I was on the road, Smokey Joe's Cafe, and I couldn't remember anyone's name. We would go to a different city and it was like the crew, your dresser, you want to be friendly, you want to, you know, develop relationships. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to call everybody Sass. Hi, Sass. Hi, Sass. Sass. How are you? Sass, could you do this? And all of a sudden it was like a thing and the cast started to say it, sass, sass, sass. It was, and somebody turned to me and they were like, you know, you're the sass. And it was like some stage hand, of course, cause I can't remember his name, like gave me one of those looks like actually you're the sass and it stuck. And everyone from that moment on started to call me sass. And I think it was the first day of rehearsal of Fosse in Toronto. You have to go around the room, tell people, tell everyone your name. And it was the first time I ever said, hi, my name is Rochelle Rack, but you can call me sass. And that's all they ever called me. If you go to anyone in Fosse, it would be like, oh, you mean sass. So that stuck. Well, it was born and it sticks and it's fabulous. Okay, so you are the hardest working woman in show business. Before we go back to the beginning and how it all got started, I want to talk about your new show, Sass and Shred, which is available on Access Broadway, which is Broadway On Demand's educational platform. Tell us about that class. Yeah, so Sass and Shred is like 15 minutes of, we came up with a concept fit for your body because we're all different, you know, we're we're all different shapes and sizes. Um, because I come from a crazy world, Mark, that's the dancer body world. And if you're not a certain look when you growing up in the 80s, um, you didn't work. So for me, it was very important to develop a show called Sass and Shred that is fit for your body, not my body. So it's about you. So what that is, it's me in my garage that I created. It's called Sass, set, Stu- Sass Studios. Sass Studios. 
and AKA SAS Studios. And it is a little area, a little space for you. I used water bottles, books in backpacks. I used anything. And it was about finding things in the middle of COVID when you couldn't get to a gym, when every dumbbell to buy was out of stock. You couldn't buy a set of dumbbells. I mean, it was a crazy beginning. So we started the show to make it like fun, just music. You know, I teach a dance step in each episode, just like a basic dance step. So it's not, it's not for the dancer. It's not for the person that's like, Oh my God, I can't take Rochelle Rex class. Cause I don't dance. It's about fit for your body. I give a few fun ideas. I am ridiculous. You should see me with my LOL backpack oh my God, I cannot wait to with books you. and I have water bottles that I'm doing like, you know, curls and presses with. So I'm like, get a soup can, honey, grab what you have. So that's where Sass and Shred kind of started. I did 15 episodes and it's 15 minutes of fun and just movement wherever you are. And that's the key, really. It's about doing what you can where you are right now. Oh my God. I love it so much. Everyone needs to check it out um, on Access Broadway, which is Broadway On Demand's paid channel. And we also did, you did an episode of the Broadway Workshop Dance Show as well. And so you- I was the opener. Wasn't I your opener? You were the first episode. There's a lot to live up to. Okay. You also, I mean, you've like done so much in these COVID times. Not only is the Garage Sass Studios, but you've written a musical- I want to hear what you can tell us about it. You've been giving me little bits and pieces and it sounds so exciting. And I'm obsessed with how you are constantly changing the game for yourself and challenging yourself and coming up with new creative things. So tell me about this musical and what we can expect from it and when we can expect to hear something from it. Okay. So um, the musical right now, I say right now, it's called Point of View and it is the point of view of Broadway not just divas, but the women of Broadway from that cross over from transgender, gay, all different stories of these women of Broadway. And you would, you would think that it could be like, um, the insight to what it's really like, maybe the hurt, the things you go through, the sense of humor and the backstage, but it all takes place on the television set. So these women have come together hopefully after or in the process of coming out of COVID and they're talking about their lives and they're all brought there for a reason and they're not really sure why. So that just kind of like sets you up of why we want to hear from these women. What you can expect, first of all, my expectations are blown, uh, like out of proportion and amazed because so many people that have asked to be a part of this have said yes. From the Angie Schwartz to the Katie Huffmans to the people, Marissa Rosen, I'm talking, I could list the Broadway ladies that were like, yes, you want to do a reading? Yes. How many times? Every Sunday? Okay. Like it, they have been so generous and you know, it all also focuses on someone that is a transgender that is going through the process of transgender, which I think is so important to talk about and people playing roles in the transgender community. So to me, it matters, you know, and that is what I hope, I hope it will matter to others. Where we're taking this point of view, I went to the Actors Fund, I talked to them and I asked if we could do a small presentation, maybe 45 minutes of the piece, selected you know, songs or scenes and raise money for the Phyllis Newman's Women's Health Initiative. And that was my main goal. Put it put it out there, give it, give it something with a positive, you know, um, idea behind it. And the actors fund immediately said, yes, it was within 10 minutes of the conversation of what the show is about. And, you know, I'm so affected by the actors fund and Broadway cares, of course. And then 
to have them reach out. And, you know, there's always a few like no's or, okay, where are we going to land? Where are we going to go? But Broadway World, you know, has decided that they will stream it for us. And we are setting a date right now for in January. So that will be coming soon. So to do a show, to create something, to have all of these Broadway ladies and to, to raise money for something, I, I'm just... I'm really touched, moved, and I'm so grateful. So whatever it becomes, you know, Mark, that's my motto. Mm -hmm. Don't do it for the result. Do it because you have to. Do it because it's in you. And that's really what this is about for me. Well, I can't wait to see it. I know that uh, it'll be dynamic. And you're such a good writer. I just was uh, re-watching your cabaret act from La Passant Rouge um, in preparation for our chat today, which I saw live. But it's like such a beautifully written show. Like you created something there that was so beyond what you see in cabaret. You have such a great voice and you're able to write witty jokes and be heartfelt and do that. I mean, your writing is really special and I don't think people know that about you. So I think it's going to be a really exciting thing for people to hear your voice in this new sort of way. So well, I can thank you. I hope yeah. so. Thank you for that. It's true. All right. We have to talk about Ignite Dance because you've kind of blown this up. You started a dance competition a couple of years ago that was really gaining huge momentum because this is the world that you know so well and you've shaped so many young dancers' lives and you've created this great competition program that is really empowering and you've had to sort of shift and move and figure out how to do it online. Tell me what's happening with Ignite and how you are making this still happen and how you're supporting. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, tell and us. like you, you launch a show in you know 2019 thinking this is going to be my next chapter um i first of all i have a friend uh, who is my partner in business sandra coit she is the owner of starbound dance competition she and i got together we decided we want to do something more of yes competition but more of a convention where they're learning they're learning so we tried we did it live we had jojo siwa was there the dance moms episode it was crazy it was like the biggest launch you could ever hope for in pittsburgh my hometown and then cut to a year later and you're like about to go and like set all of these cities and it's like you know nope. everything no, you're not, <laughs> not gonna happen covid down and you know you're just thinking well, okay, what does that mean? Is this over? Is you know, like everyone, you're, you're questioning the importance of it. Is that is it over? Should I should I pause? Do I keep going? And we decided to go virtual immediately. And the only I will say this: I watched Marty Thomas's diva on. It was doing virtual divas, and I was like, okay, how do I do that? and make this and how do I, you know, make that happen? So he inspired me. He was having people sing live, which was unheard of because it's so hard to do anything live. We know yeah. that you don't know if someone has a good connection. So Marty Thomas was our host on the dance moms episodes with me for ignite dance live in Pittsburgh. We did two episodes to kind of launch the brand. And then I said to him, can we bring this virtual? Can we use the platform? Can we play the videos? And that's it. We started to do outreach to say, listen, submit what you have, whether you're dancing on a bridge, you're in the dance studio, you're on someone else's stage, which is unheard of with someone else's banner behind you. Who cares? We want to see you. So submit it. And not only are we going to talk to you virtually, that was the concept in person, which was myself, Paul McGill or Charlie Sutton or Derek Paquette. And now, you know, Julius um, Rubio and Karine Plan de Like these people, oh God, I love, her. love <laughs> yeah. you know, having them 
sit back. Imagine you're 15, 14, 16, and you're on the stage and you just perform and someone is going to get on a microphone and say, you know, Cherie, she would say, but someone else would say, okay, here's what you did. Here's what you need to do. Here's what helped me when I was 15 before my 17 Broadway shows, you know, that kind of connection, it didn't exist. It didn't exist in my time. You could have a class with someone, but it was still the disconnect. This is you performing and you hearing directly from a panel of working dancer, singer, actresses, all of it. So I thought it was something that could change the game for these young dancers that are very driven by trophies. And this is not about trophies, Mark. This is about, this isn't about first, second or third place. It's that you get the honor to win a private lesson or a private session with someone and that connection and then tag, you know, if you do their choreography, tag them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times Charlie Sutton said, when you get to New York, I'm going to hire you. Make sure you come to an audition. He's an associate choreographer. This is not about, you know, what you can be in, in the next 10 years. It's about making connection. The biggest question students ask me now is what can I do right now to, to not lose Mm -hmm. momentum and be a part of, of the community. So it matters to me, you know, it's not like, Oh my God, I'm, you know, Holy cow, this is, this is changing the game, but it's really, I think it's doing something, especially for the people that keep coming back because we keep having people come back to ignite, submit again, take their notes, reshoot it. Like that's That's fantastic. Yeah. It's so cool. And it's been so cool to watch it continue to grow even through this insane time. So bravo to you. Um, We were talking about Pittsburgh, which is where you kicked off Ignite, which is also where we kicked off SAS. So talk to me about growing up in Pittsburgh. Obviously your mother, we know uh, Ro is the incredible dance legend who started it all for you. But tell me about those early years in her studio and working and how did that all get started for you? Well, let's see. So my mother had a studio for 52 years in Pittsburgh, Rosalind Kenneth School of Dance, professional school of dance. And she was a great tapper. She started literally, I have to talk about Roe for a second because she started off. Listen, back in the day, honey, you couldn't get a credit card if you were a woman. You had to have somebody else sign for you. She was going to churches, renting their fire halls. We danced in a fire hall, Mark, where the chairs were the divider of the rooms. The chairs. You know how you could see the other people? Yes. But but no, no, I'm in my room and you're in yours (laughs) dancing. So this is how my life, I learned from a woman that was carrying mats, a boom box and what, and her tap shoes to go to these places. And she, she always thought big. It wasn't one location, one in one part of Pittsburgh, one in another one. So she was always reaching different areas. So that was my life. It started off. Some people don't like to use the word gypsy. That's all I know. I knew it from my life. You grabbed your bag and you were ready to go. That was, that was how I was brought up. She never, we didn't have the luxury of learning how to dance on a sprung floor or a Marley floor or a good floor ever. It was like whatever floor was there. Honey, my mother would be like, you can do an aerial. It's concrete and there's a fault, you know, there's a drop off at the edge, but you'll be fine. I mean, we, I remember being on a moving float in like a Thanksgiving parade and she was like, you know, so what? Go ahead. You'll be fine. So she wasn't, it's funny because people are like, was she, you know, strict or this, she was strict, but she wasn't like, oh my God, crazy. So she brought me to dance school every day. It was my, it was my babysitter. 
I say this, it was, you know, where I spent my time. I did my schoolwork in the office or on the floor, you know, like you're, it was constantly every day, a part of my life. How do you get better at something at one thing? 10,000 hours, right? That's the rule. How do you do it? So that's where my life was. But it was, she used to say, why are you always hungry? Like I would be like, I'm hungry during the ballet warm up, you know, always. <laughs> now I wonder why, you know, my developé only went so far. I'm like, mom, did you have to let me eat the pizza during the ballet warm up? Couldn't you be like, I'm on to you. Like maybe called me out on it. So that was kind of my life. And I would say, I have a picture of myself, like when I was like six or seven singing, I'm just a Broadway baby, you know, with a big feather and a, like a sequin leotard and a microphone on some stage, any stage that there was. So not much has changed. Not much has changed. I'm still, <laughs> I still have the outfit. I think it's just a little bit, you know, I'm I, sure think you I'm it. It. I think I'm wearing it. I think I'm wearing it. I think it's on. Um, <laughs> so but how, how did she know you were good? You were good. That's the other oh. thing. It's you, you had to have she also been good. Well, she didn't really ever, t she never told me I was great. Always good. Like always I could get better. Well, there's a few things. So when I was six, I did a number to Wonder Woman and I have a picture of myself doing, like I learned how to tumble. I learned how to tap dance. Like she was an avid tapper. So I'm, I'm skilled in a lot of things that I never even used in my adult life yet. So but I did use Wonder Woman. But here's the thing. She had me do back handsprings. I have like, you would look at it now. I had fake handcuffs on. They Velcroed. Like round off, back handspring, back handspring, Wonder Woman. And then break the, break oh the, God. you know. So my mother, I was six. This is like Ariel off the prop. Not not an Ariel on the floor. <laughs> off of the prop. Yeah. So she... She didn't live in a, in a world where you had like these boundaries or she was just like, sure, you can do it. So that's it. She taught me. She had different teachers teach ballet, point, everything. It was very well-rounded. She had a student, a few students that went directly from her school to Broadway. Danny Herman went right into a chorus line, the original company, right? You know, she had another student, Christine Chulik, went right into 42nd Street. So she was training people to be professionals. And she was a, a small studio in Pittsburgh, but one of the biggest names in Pittsburgh at that time. So she was on to something. She didn't tell me I was great, only that I was good and to just keep working. But she was always willing to put me in the mix for things. So I auditioned for the Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera Mini Stars. I auditioned for Don Brockett, who was a big deal at the time. He was Chef Brockett on Mr. Rogers. And he was the man of Pittsburgh that cast everything. So when I was 14, I was hired. You could be hired at 14 back in the eighties. And when I was 14, he hired me for like the, at gimbals during Christmas to be a part of the, you know, event. Well, I was dressed up as rainbow bright and I had to wear a thing on my head. And I think I was the only 14 year old that ever called Don Brock and said, I'm sorry, but I can't take this job. And he was like, why? And I said, because I'm not going to wear something and cover my face. <laughs> <laughs> now, anyone else would have been like, I'm working for Don Brockett. I've got to I mean, do amazing. it. Amazing. This is so, my moment. Instead of him like letting me say, you know, I, I'm not going to work there. He put me in like a cake costume where I had a hat, but you could still see my face. So somebody else had to be rainbow bright that year. So those <laughs> things, like I think back, what was I thinking? Like, where did I get those kind of like 
you know, that stance. I don't know. So it must have been for my mom. Somewhere. It's from Ro, definitely. It must have been. So she she knew, I think when I was about 13 or 14, I had some talent. I mean, I never was, I, I did a few pageants. I was never the prettiest. I was never the pageant girl, but I did a few pageants. I, I won the speech portion of like, you had to write what's right about America, um, for Miss National Teenager. And I won the talent section, but you know, when those 10 are called, I was never one of those 10, honey. So pageant <laughs> girl, I was not. Pageant they, girl out. But, Broadway but, it, star but it, taught me, it taught me a lot of things. Yeah. So I felt like she, she opened up doors to expose me to like, okay, try this. Okay. Don't be afraid of that. That all of that stuff creates confidence so that you don't have fear of the stage or anything. I mean, I never had fear of the stage. I think I was two and a half and they were like pulling me off while I was waving. So I, I don't know that it's in you, but she knew I needed to learn how to sing and act and do other things. So she was willing to kind of say, okay, now what are we going to do? How are we going to find what you need? But I think when I was about 14, when I saw Cats, I saw Cats for the first time in New York. I had seen 42nd Street. I had seen a chorus line when I was about 10. But when Cats hit me, it was, this is what I'm going to do. Okay, so then Cats comes to town your senior year of high school to audition. Back in the day, they toured to audition. They went to cities. They had auditions in all different cities for dancers. They were looking for talent. And maybe they do that now, but this this was like cutting edge. 88. So I'm a senior. It's right after Easter. My aunt tells me, did you see in the paper, there's an audition for cats? And I was like, no. So of course I would have missed it. So, um, so I look it up and I'm like, oh, okay. They're auditioning at the Benedum. Go. Let me see how I do compare. And Ro has to go with you because you're a kid. Well, she didn't have to go to the audition. Okay. She dropped me off because at the age of 10, she said that when I was going to Civic Light Opera, she said, you, I was like, I'll be fine. Uh, you know, pick me up later. She yeah. said, by 10, you were like, see ya, ball change. And bye bye. And so Katz comes to town. I'm a senior. It's it's on a Monday. I go to the audition. I want to see where I am, Mark. At this point, I've been studying voice since I'm 14. I want to see how do I hold up against the Point Park dancers and everyone else in town or surrounding towns. So it goes pretty well the first day. I'm dancing. I'm, you know, and they do a cut, 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 you know, and all of that and a callback. And I'm like, okay, I'm still here. So that's a good thing. So, and I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm getting ready for like the next day of school, going back to my Canavan High School uniform. So I go to sing. And I sing, I have one, of course, one song at the time, maybe this time from Cabaret. And I keep singing it. I'm singing it. And then they have me sing it again and again and again and again. I'm telling you, do the ending. Just try the ending. I didn't know they were taking it up a half a step every time to see how (laughs) high I could go. Because I had zero idea. I was just like, maybe this time. Boy, that feels different, but I'll do it. So I had zero clueless idea that they were checking to see how high I could belt or what I was doing. Um, so then a few days later, two days later, it was on a Thursday. I got a phone call. You know, we'd like to offer you the national tour of cats. The position is a swing position. You will be understudying four parts. 
and you leave like Monday. So I was like, call that school and make sure I get my points to graduate and whatever it takes. And I had a really nice, there was a, there was a, a nice, she wasn't so nice, but she was a nice nun, Sister Judy, who ran the drill team that I was on. <laughs> she helped to facilitate the fact that I could get credit up to where I was. It was April of my senior year. And, oh, I forgot to tell you, I had just gotten kicked out of the play working the musical in my high school. And it was the only time Roe ever went to my high school ever in four years because they kicked me out of my senior play because I missed a rehearsal because I was doing a professional production somewhere else. So after that happened, I was like, well, who needs that play working? I'm going on the national tour of cats, honey. Again, that's probably where drop swing ball change. Cha -cha Keep moving. Started. So that was it. And I remember my mom say, they said, this is what you'll get paid. This is your per diem. You know, when per diem was a per diem. And she was like, are you sure that's not for the month? You know, bro, <laughs> as I slightly put in a Gwen Verdon shake. Um, so she was like, okay. And they said, you leave on Monday. That was it. We, the next thing I know, my mother, your mother will have to come as your chaperone until you get, you know, settled and all of that. Then we get there, Mark, and we're watching the show. And I'm like, okay, that's Syllabub. Okay. That's Demeter. Okay. That's Bombelli Arena. Okay. That's Grizabella. Oh my God. What? I was like, my mother goes, are you sure you have the right character? So wait, they wanted you to cover Grizabella? I covered Grizabella. <laughs> not wanted me to. Well, that's why that they made you sing so high. Yeah. Uh, hello. Touch me. Touch. Yeah. When I would sing it, it was like the Italian word. Touch me. It was, my mother was like, what are you doing? Wait, did you ever go on for I, Grizabella? Well, I didn't because the thing was, A, I shouldn't have. Hello. I wasn't no. quite ready. And you were 17. Me, I was 17. But I was giving you, don't kid. I have a picture in the full getup. I did full run-throughs. I remember very well, like, I'm 17 being the glamour cat, right? And in rehearsal, and I'm, Jeff Lee is there. The Like, everyone is there. Richard, I mean, it was a time that people that were the big creatives showed up. These were big national tours. This is... Yes, the Hamilton of that time. This was the fourth of cats. There were four of them. Wow. And they were, it was huge, 1988, big. And they said, I remember them saying to me, okay, Rochelle, and it was good. It was good, you know, and then it was nerves, I guess. And then he, I remember Jeff Lee saying, Rochelle, just feel the note, feel the note. You're, you're fine, right? I said, Jeff, I feel it. I just can't hit it. And I will never forget it. Right. And I was like, but I, I did the full work, you know, they worked with me and it was great. And it was, it was something that I treasured because I had some great moments and that they believed that I was capable of that. That gave me a lot of faith in the next steps of my life. That's the thing, even though that tour ended in four months. So I got on the wrong tour apparently because she was about to ball change on out of here. So the tour ends, I got to go on only for, um, Demeter and, but it was the first time I ever did first time I, of everything that I ever went and did a Broadway cares event, ever saw an AIDS event. This was a, a big, you know, very different time in life. And then I was like part of everything for Broadway Cares Equity fight, Fights AIDS from that moment on. So that was like a big awakening of a new chapter of my beginning. Was it stressful for you to 
be the youngest sort of yes. kitty cat in the You were mean back <laughs> then. Sure. You were allowed to be mean. It was not politically incorrect to be mean to someone. So there were people that loved me. There were people that were like, you mean to tell me out of all the people in New York City, they had to go to Pittsburgh and pull a girl out of high school? Like there, there is definitely, you know, feel what you would think if you're 30 years old and you're like, really? That's, you know, that's yeah. what we're going to, that's where we are. But honey, they picked the right girl. And I remember I was in like my friend, well, there, I had a lot of friends. I met my friend, Jimmy Walski there, David Roberts. I was, I had to type a paper for like my final paper about my experience to send it back to high school to get credit as well. So I'm like in this, imagine me in the stage manager's office with all cats around me, like typing my final paper. Like oh. this is what life is really like, you know, that's the visual. Oh my gosh. I mean, they, the one class I was good at in school, thank God, typing, it served me well. So that was kind of like the beginning. And then the shock of it, Mark, is four months goes by. I'm back in Pittsburgh. There's, you know, congratulations, Rochelle Rack and Katz on the Roy Rogers sign in my hometown. You know, oh, the I miss Roy Rogers every day. Those, those, <laughs> but like, I felt like a celebrity. Now it's like, forget it. That was how you were seen. So then um, cut to nothing. What am I going to do now? Not, you know, like. Was there a thought like, oh, I'll go to college and. Never. Never. Ever no, there was who, what show am I doing next and how am I going to get there? So I remember thinking, okay, I'm going to go to New York, see what's going on. You know, I had cousins that lived in long, um, long Island. So I would stay with them. I was very lucky at that age to have family that were welcoming and they were in my, my aunt was an opera singer. My uncle was the violinist for, you know, Frank Sinatra for 40 years and for, for Les Mis and Phantom. So they were in it. So that helped. And, um, so then I go back to, to, um, New York and they're like, there's an audition for Starlight Express. And I was like, okay, it's an Andrew Lloyd Webber. There's a couple good characters. All right, what do I got to do? And my dance captain, Jimmy Walski, said to me at the time, he was also a part of Starlight Express. And he was like, learn to dance on your toe stops. That was all I got, the note, right? Okay. So I go home. What's Ro do? Hires me a roller skating coach. Yes, Ro. Check, check, That's- check. We are now adding roller skating privates to my Lessons. Circle of lessons. Absolutely. Yes. And so sure enough, I'm now 18 and they're, they're casting the national tour of Starlight Express. It had just finished on Broadway and I have no idea what part I'm going in for. Of course, Mark, because you know me, I'm like, whatever. I don't I'll know just why be there. I'm sick. I'll just be there. So I dance on my toe stops, I'm, you know, athletic and fearless and all of that. And then it gets time to, you know, learn these songs, come back. You know, I sang a song called Uncoupled for an audition and Girls Rolling Stock. And Uncoupled, I sang this song, a very kind of like breakup, sad country song with a big smile on my face, completely the opposite of what the story was saying. And I remember Paul Bogave saying to me, Rochelle, you know, you know, this song is sad. Like it's a it's a sad song. And I was like, oh, I know. I'm just so happy to be here. Right. And they were dying. I think. There was something about the innocence of not knowing and not trying to be something. In the end, they cast me as 
the Andrea McArdle role, which I was like, who? And she played Ashley, the smoking car. So she was like this crazy riffer all over the place. Like I was like in a backbend trying to hit a high note. So I learned very quickly the things I was about to take on in my career and have to learn. So those were like the, that was, that was the highlight of my beginning. It was cats and starlight express. And then cats brought you to Broadway. Yes. Years later. Yeah. Well, people think you just arrive. And what they don't know is it took seven years of touring. And in between that, I did a terrible like uh, tour in Europe because again, when I read the paper, the backstage, and it says European tour of West Side Story must be just like the national tour of cats. Wrong. Wrong. And, you know, you're on a bus eight hours a day and they decide to make the the schedule. Oh, you're in Austria. Oh, you're in Germany. Oh, you're in Switzerland. And you're just on a bus all day eating Toblerone, completely just like unhappy. And I'm like, oh, my God, how do I get how do I get back home? There's no place like home. <laughs> you know, and I'm going touch me. Anything. 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 I can do. Get me out of Germany. Get me out of this tour. But it was a lot of fun. And it taught me. People say, did you pay your dues? And I'm like, you betcha. Duh. Yeah. So tell me about uh, doing Cats on Broadway. You did. You were a three-month replacement. Yes. What do you remember about the first night of doing that show, like making your Broadway debut after, <sighs> you know, all of this? I was like, finally. <laughs> Bye. Are you kidding me? That, you know, no, my mother, everyone was coming. Of course, it was incredible. I had finally decided to leave Starlight Express. And then that opening happened with Marlena Danielle. And it was just like a, a fluke timing thing. I, I flew in from Vegas. I lived in Vegas at the time. I was doing Starlight Express at the Hilton in Vegas. And I was the assistant dance captain. And I was kind of like ready. I had to go. I had to get out. And that was it. So I go to, to New York. I get the job. It finally happens. The night is there. My mother's like, they're stressed out because my name's not on the roster yet. She thinks something has happened and I'm not going to be in the show. Like it's, a, I'm like, I have a message at the stage door. Of course, like it's the first night I'm about to go on. I have a message saying, you know, something wrong. Your name's not in the thing. Like just to cause me a heightened. Just some another, stress. Another level of stress. But it was the greatest time moment of my life like to be to be 14 and see that to be 17 and have that be my first break to get there and just be you know I, I also opened with I had two different two different Demeters in that time I was there one was an old friend of mine Susan LaMontagne who I knew a long time and so it was just like family there were people I knew and um they always made fun of me because I would always practice I had my little cassette tape and I would push the button. I'd be in my headsets. But when the day is hustle and the bustle is done, then the and I would always practice the Gumby Trio because I had I, I was like I just wanted to get it right. And that's the thing that's like about your imperfections. When I was younger, I didn't sing in a chorus situation. I didn't learn about harmonizing. I didn't know how to read music. I didn't have music theory. I had none of these skills, and I was like winging it and practicing it. So the best way I could learn things were by listening to them mm. over and over again and torturing my castmates. So they would all be like, but, you know, <laughs> backstage. So it just became a thing. So it was the greatest night of my life. I had no idea it would lead me to the next 20 years of my life. And 
that because I knew there was an end. I had learned very quickly that these moments, they are for a second and then they're over. I had a three month contract. What am I going to do in the time I'm on Broadway for three months to lead me to the next thing? And that was really, it's also learning how to have fun and be in the moment, but you have to be thinking, what else can I do? Which is when Smokey Joe's Cafe came into my life. And so, so you like, did that tour for how long, Smokey Joe's? Smokey Joe's, it was, I was a replacement and it was for about six months and then we went to Japan. So it was about seven months, but it was, it was going to the time then, you know, going to the audition, then having my final call back on the Virginia theater stage between shows. Okay. Between <laughs> shows where they're like, the crew is there, the costumes are there, everybody's there. And apparently I had to watch the show. So they invite you to see the show before you're about to do your final audition, which doesn't cause you any sort of stress, of course. <laughs> and the day of my audition, I'm downstage with like all of the costume people, some kind of knew me or remembered me or whatever. And there's a girl standing there and she's like, I was like, Oh my God, you play delete. You, you were incredible. And she went, I am Dali, right? And I was like, well, this is going to end well. I immediately was like, terrific, great. And, and then they're like, Rochelle, it's time to go on stage. Like, I'm telling you it happened like that. So I get on the stage and I'm singing, you know, in front of Louis St. Louis, who is playing the piano behind me. And I'm auditioning. Jerry Zachs is at the back of the theater. Joey McNeely is to my side, you know. So I'm talking about these moments that now I think about, I wonder if they happen. You know, I wonder if that's how it still happens. Like, I don't, this seems like the golden age of Broadway. You know, things aren't quite like this anymore. I mean, I treasure it. Like, that was it. I'm singing Woman, I'm singing Fallen, and I'm doing Teach Me How to Shimmy. And, you know, then the next thing you know, because they had such respect for people as well, it was like, you knew the next day you got that job. Like, it wasn't like a chorus line <laughs> where they're just going to draw out your life. Oh my God. We have so much to talk about. We're taking a little quick break and we're coming back to just hit some of the highlights of your magical career. We'll be right back. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. All right, we're back with Rochelle Rack. So we were talking about Smokey Joe's before the break. Um, we have to. We have so much to talk about. We have to talk about Fosse because that show really put you on the map for so many 
audience members to know who you were and Broadway fans to be obsessed with you because you sort of, you kind of built up into that show. Can you just like briefly tell us your story about working with Gwen, getting to do that show, working with Ann Ranking? I know it's a huge story, but. No, listen, I'm going to do, I'll give you a quick version of it. Here's the thing that people don't know. When I joined the cast of Fosse, they offered me a swing position and I said no. And my mother thought I was crazy because it was the first original Broadway company I had been offered. But I knew I didn't want to spend my time in the wings and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And so a few days later, they called me back and said, we have a spot for you on stage. And it was a relief. It was a gift. It was, um, it was meant to be. Now that spot on stage only included three numbers in three and a half hours. So I was in Bye Bye Blackbird, Big Spender, and Sing, Sing, Sing. The show was three and a half hours. So that wasn't much stage time, but I was still on stage and I didn't care. I was like, I'm in, I'm in the cast. I'll do it. I'll do it. So as we spent time with Fosse, different things were happening. First of all, my dear friend, Elizabeth Parkinson, was in every number. She needed a rest, just like a break. So I, by the time we got to Boston, I had learned a lot of the dances. I had learned, I had done, like I spent every rehearsal in the corner to learn. Nobody puts baby in the corner, but honey, Sass was in the corner learning how to back bump and, and do what I did not know because I had no idea what this style took or what was about to happen in my life. So that, that was paying off because all of a sudden they would say, well, who knows this or who can do that? Or I had to audition for Gwen Verdon and Anne Ranking to be in the ensemble of the Rich Man's Frug. I was already in the show. So we're talking about audition within an audition, just, just to take over an ensemble track in a number. So when people think sometimes, oh, that's where you ended up. Well, there was a journey to get there. So Gwen Verdon had one day in Toronto where she said she wanted to see other people do parts and different. What did we know to like give understudies? It was important. So I only knew I gotcha. And so I did it. And she said, do you know anything else? I said, no, but I'm going to learn it. You know, so there were those moments. And then I went and learned mine hair and I just started to keep learning things. That didn't happen. Like I didn't take over for someone else. I didn't take anyone else's part. Like Shannon Lewis was incredible. She was great in the show. I loved, I loved everything that she did and brought to her part. When the opportunity presented itself that I got to go on and to do different things and to do it kind of in my own way, which I think is important for artists to know that you don't have to replicate what someone else does. That doesn't mean you're not doing the Fosse style or you're not doing the style of the choreographer, but finding your own way. It's okay because it makes it something different. By doing that, Gwen Verdon when Shannon left, when different people were starting to do other things, they kept moving me up, Mark. And that's unheard of. When you're an understudy or a swing, you usually stay in that position. Every time a female was leaving, I was taking over a new part. And it was such a gift and such, um, it was such respect of so much work that I had put in, but I didn't expect it. I had no expectations because I had been through the ringer before. Mm-hmm. And- know what it is. So that's kind of how it happened. Gotcha went to me, mine hair, 
Nowadays, I became kind of the backup for Dana Moore, razzle dazzle. I was with Scott Wise, you know, until, you know, that change happened. The only time they would come to me and say, um, you know, uh, as I took over some of the female roles, if a female was coming in, like, like a star, star, like Anne or, you know, BB, they were like, and by the way, you won't be doing mine hair anymore for a while. So you'd be like, okay, I'll change. And then when Ben came, oh, I was thrilled. I was like, honey. So Ben Vereen joined the show and that was the version that was filmed. That yeah. was the version that was filmed. And I will tell you this, I was not supposed to do mine hair. And ranking was doing mine hair. And it was the day before I got a phone call from the producer saying, Anne, you know, injured her ankle. She is not going to do mine hair. We want you to film mine hair. And this was the day before. And I was like, okay. No, I was like, I'm sure she'll be fine, but okay. No, it was- Get well soon, Anne. Get, get, but at least I knew she was out there like going to be judging me, telling me exactly what I wasn't doing right. So those are the moments where those things do happen. The last minute, you know, I was happy. I was going to get to do I Gotcha. I was in all these great pieces of work that were being filmed for what we thought PBS special. At the time, that's what the purpose was. I didn't know that like cut to 20 years later, I'm, you know, performing at the industry bar, my first like one woman show with an incredible group of wonderful family of the community of Broadway and beyond that like someone would come up to me and be like, when I was in the fifth grade, I saw you do, I gotcha or mine hair and you changed my life. And you're just like, cause you leave the fifth grade out of the sentence and we'll be good to go. So those are the moments that, you well, know. Well, it's also so matter. captured in time, which is so cool to have that, you know, just be able to go to YouTube and watch you do those numbers. It's just like a really special thing that never will go away. And so it's thrilling that you got to film that. Um, following uh, Fosse was Thou Shalt Not, right? <laughs> there, I had two options. It was the one year I had two shows in one year, Sweet Smell of Success or Thou Shalt Not. Luckily, not in a bit, not in a, not in a negative way. Neither one of them were huge successes. So I didn't feel bad. You know, when you have that yeah. moment of which one should I take and why? It wasn't wicked and thou shalt not. It was. Yeah, exactly. It would have been, I would have been like, <laughs> you may never have seen me again if it was. I'm out. That's it. Okay. So what happened, I had done all of these, at the time I was big on the workshops. Anywhere there was a workshop, I would do it. Yes, double duty, yes. That means rehearsing during the day, doing your show at night. Any opportunity I could get, I took it. So I did the workshop of Sweet Smell of Success. That came in, Thou Shalt Not. I had never worked with Susan Stroman. I wanted to. And so I made a decision based on that. And that's why I did it. And then Susan Stroman said to me, you know, at this time I had been doing Fosse. People were like, why would you ever do a part? Like, why wouldn't you, you know, keep it where you only take certain parts? And because I wanted to work, I wanted mm -hmm. to be a part of it. And that's something that you learn as you go, what you, what you want really out of it. So I remember Susan Stroman, I wanted to understudy to raise for can because I had just played this role on, you know, in Fosse. And I thought I'm, definitely qualified. And I remember her saying to me, Rochelle, you're just not innocent enough. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm an actress. Okay, fine. Well, maybe it was the hot pants and like the crop tops <laughs> I wore to rehearsal every day. I'm not sure. So I was like, okay. So 
then something happened. One of the understudies got injured. The other one had, there were other different things going on. And I saw her on ninth Avenue and like 49th street. This is Susan Stroman. And she said to me, Rochelle, do you think you could learn to raise your can? And I said, I thought I wasn't innocent enough. (laughs) (laughs) And the next thing, you know, nine days later I went on new Orleans accent, Craig Bierko, a spinning bed, Norbert Leo Butts, a tap dance solo, The Works. I remember so, that show very vividly. Well, it's like Deborah Monk you. had a stroke in a in a in a wheelchair, and y'all were dancing around her. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, there were so many. You know, when things you just go, there were so many great things, and then the cast was so great. You know, that's the one thing when when you're taking your first bow, and like Joanne Hunter's like, you start looking for your next job, like during the <laughs> bow, you know that you're like, you are just a pack, you are a pack, and yeah. you just stick together and you have the most fun because you know, you know what it is, and you know, everything when it was thou shouldn't have, thou should never, you know, the reviews come out, and you know, you just kind of learn learn to roll with it but i met you know that was the first time i met at first norbert leo butts that was his big break he was and then obviously you worked with him again in catch me again and then again and dirty run scoundrels oh my god yeah so you know i tell him i was in every one of your hit shows at the tony (laughs) awards i'm always like i was at every show you won a tony and honey that's amazing all right so you get to do oklahoma with susan stroman immediately following that um and if everybody is listening go youtube that tony performance where you're doing like barrel turns center stage I in, don't the, know. in it, your prairie outfit. Yeah. They all wore boots and I wanted boots with a heel. So she let me have them. And people were like, why would you ever want to wear a heel? And I'm like, because that's, that's Rochelle. Okay. So, so yes. look of love in 2003, yes. which is choreographed by Anne ranking. So obviously people love working with you and hire you over and over again, which is a really good uh, thing to have when you're an actress. Yes. Now that show is a crazy story because you um, just, Tell, yes. tell the story. I will. I'll tell it quickly. So uh, we are doing the, the um, Look of Love, and it's a Burt Bacharach musical. It's a so many stars, incredible cast, and Anne Ranking brought me on, and I'm doing um, a tech rehearsal, and we are, Janine Lamana, Shannon Lewis, and myself are doing What's New Pussycat, and it's kind of in the Flossie-esque style, and we are teching the show. And those of you out there know what tech rehearsal is. It's long, it's tedious, and sometimes they want to move fast because we're behind. So we're a little bit behind. We're teching the number. Anne wants it full out. All right. So we get on the stage. Now the boys bring up the elevator, set the chairs, and they go back down in an elevator. And we start, the three women. And all I remember is I start and I step back and take a big step and just kind of give full out. And the next thing I know, I am unconscious and I'm waking up. And I have fallen 12 feet into the elevator lift and the gentlemen were still on it. Something caught my leg and saved my life. And I fell on my side, on my face, directly out, knocked out. I wake up, the stage has been brought back up, obviously, and I am coming out of it and I'm hearing something and I don't know what, but I'm just starting to hear something. And I hear someone on the God mic and it's Anne Ranking. And I hear her talking and I hear her talking and she, she says, I fell once. And I was like, 
Okay, I'm alive because this is Broadway and Anne Ranking is on the God mic talking about herself and I'm alive. Par- apparently I've made it or I'm in heaven. It's Broadway <laughs> heaven and everybody's just talking about themselves. So I come to life. I wake up. I look down. I'm bleeding. I'm cut. I'm crying. I'm scared because I don't know what happened. And the next thing I know, I'm in a stretcher. I'm in a corset. They're taking my wig off. I'm in a corset. They've cut me out of my microphone. And they strap me into the gurney. And I'm like, apparently, they were like, you just kept saying, what happened to the pretty girl? What happened to the pretty girl (laughs) on the way out? Like, that was like... And next thing I know, you know, my fairy godmother, Frank Paul, meets me at the, at the hospital. And a few days later, it was time to tech my solo, my first solo on Broadway to be teched 24 hours to Tulsa. If you thought I was missing that, you were wrong. So I can't walk for three days, pretty much three days, like, and but I dragged my rear into that tech rehearsal and that's where people were so kind and people that we tribute. And, you know, I just did a tribute for Hal Binkley and, you know, the lighting design, he did the lighting design for the look of love. And, you know, he, those people, those crew, the crew, the people, they just took me to the elevator. They helped me face my fears, get back on stage. And I teched my number 24 hours to Tulsa. And that was, you know, and boom, I, I literally had hip surgery in Oklahoma. Three months later, I fall into a 12 foot lift on my other hip and thinking I'm, I'm alive for a reason. So I better make it count. So the look of love was incredible and I loved every minute of it. And again, it wasn't a big hit. You know, I did a lot of flops. I have done a well, lot you, of- you've done some hits. I've we, done some, some hits. hits. But I was only in one show that ever won the Tony, and that was Fosse. No. No. And Dirty Run Scout, we were always against like this, you know, Into the Woods beat us or something. Yeah. Like, hello. That was fantastic. But give me a break. We're a comedy, for God's sakes. So um, you're, you're Dirty, obviously, you, your career keeps moving, and you go from Broadway show to Broadway show. You have this incredible experience with the Every Little Step documentary, which chronicles you not booking a chorus line, but actually probably worked out in your favor um, because it's a, it's a really great highlight of this hardworking, incredible actress like doing the work. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm sure you're really proud to have that also be in the world. Um, when you say, "Well, did I get it?" Um, to Jay Bender is just like the most. It's like the greatest moment of a Broadway person saying, "Like I deserve this." information. You need to take care of me too. Yeah. Yeah. I think think that I, the outreach that came in to me after that were from the Broadway gypsies at the time, the Broadway legacies, the dancers, the people saying, finally, someone spoke up for us finally. And that was probably the most important thing to me at the time was that from the community. And it wasn't about, you know, some people say, oh, that's just sass or, oh, it's just being, but the point is, I think that you get to a point, Mark, where you have to value yourself. We spend so much time pleasing others. How can I make your choreography better? How can I sing that song better? How can I take your direction? And sometimes you have to trust yourself to say I'm enough. And if that's the greatest thing I learned from that film, from that time, and if I can share that with students to remember, to look in the mirror and realize they're enough, then that's the purpose of that. We all have to take notes. We all have to make adjustments. You know, that's part of show business. 
I mean, it's so incredible. And you have, you have really helped so many young performers figure out who they are and how to present and how to tell a story. And obviously your, your reach with dance moms made that also so possible. So many people take dance with you and you teach everywhere and you've taught at Broadway workshops so much and have made such an impact on our students. How important is teaching for you now, you know, to share that with the next generation? Well, I think teaching for me is really important and I'm grateful that I get to reach out to so many, you know, the one thing about COVID and the one thing about adjusting in this time right now is that we've opened up our access to different places and different people because it's not just children in America. It's not, it's people every to share a story about maybe it will one story might relate to their life. So it's not just about the steps. I say this in every class. It's never just about the steps. It's about what you bring to the steps or to the scene. What in your life makes you you. And so for me, the teaching is everything. I had a talk with, with some students about what can they do right now? And that's what I think kids want to hear. It's not just the classes that they continue learning. I think they want to hear, how can I participate? How can I, you know, make this time matter? And, you know, Mark, what, what do I say? And what you're doing every day is bringing in people that live it, first of all, that are living it, that can say, I understand, I'm here for you. Here's what I do, you know, give ideas. I think it's important. I think it's important to go out there, look at the scenery and create something, do a monologue in a different setting, bring your camera, do your dance, make, do it without music, create new ideas for you. Because Mark, we live in the world now where these kids are going to have to, they, they already do it edit their own dance reel, submit them, edit. They have to know how to light themselves, edit themselves and do it. So this is the time to do that. And if there's anything I can teach someone, it's join the, you know, join the choir, learn about harmonizing early. So you don't have to suffer like I did. So you don't mm -hmm. have to have that, you know, oh my God, do I know my part? Can I hold my part? That That is stress. Like anything you can do to get better at things, that are your weaknesses. You know, we like to do what we do well, don't we? Yes. Oh, it feels so yummy and delicious. <laughs> My greatest advice for, you know, I tell the Broadway workshop, the students, go where you feel uncomfortable. Do something that makes you feel uneasy and scared. That's how you grow. That's how you get better. So Amazing. that's the Michelle, I could talk to you for years about your career, and we, and I'm glad we could highlight that first chapter because it's so interesting, and you, you have, you have really made it through this business and continue to reinvent yourself. So we're gonna do quick fire questions and obsess. So tell me what you're obsessed with right now. What should people be doing, watching, listening to? Okay, I'm obsessed with Bloodline on Netflix, ah. and because it's Norbert Leobots that, and I'm, I've also been watching the Designated Survivor. I don't know Kiefer Sutherland. I love him so. I am. I'm new to Netflix. I'm very much stuck in the eighties. So I'm just saying I'm that gonna give you a show. My obsess this week is something called Dr. Foster on Netflix. Okay. With her name, uh, Saran Jones is the lead. It's a BBC, like very dramatic, uh, okay. two season British drama. Okay, it's I so love good. That. I All right, love so that. check out yes. Dr. Foster. All right. Are you ready Wait, for the Broadway yes. workshop? Quick fire questions. Oh God. Okay. Right. I hope so. First audition song. Maybe this time. Favorite holiday. Christmas. First Broadway show you saw? Uh, 42nd Street. One thing about working with Norbert Leo Butts? He once told me that I smelled. 
Um, all right, we're gonna just talk. to throw you, just to throw you. If you can go back and do one performance of anything from your career, what would it be? It would be, um, oh my God, that's a hard one. Okay, it would be Flashdance Tess. Ah, Flashdance. Honey. Would you, my favorite movie. Would you let your daughter Delilah, who we love, audition for a Broadway show? Absolutely not. What would your superhero power be? Um, let me think. Um, that would be a drop swing, a cha-cha poos, a hitch kick, and a head roll. Um, what do you want on your bagel? I want locks and capers. You can only pick one, bite the apple or cha-cha poos. Oh, bite the apple. One show you'll never get over not booking. Oh, let me think. Oh, that's a good one. Let me think. Oh God, I want to go fast. I want it to be, I, I did get over it. So I'm trying to think, what did I not get over? What took the longest to get over? What took the longest? A chorus line took the longest to get over and cabaret, honestly. Oh. Um, yeah. Favorite lyric in your song, Sass? Um, I'm going to zhuzh and swirl. Um, everyone listen to that song immediately. Um, what feature should Patti Lapone do in the Fosse revival? Uh, what feature? Oh, she should do, <laughs> I was going to say Mr. Bojangles. She'd kill me. I think you're right. I think that's what she should do. I knew a man, Bojangles. She should sing it. That would right. be fierce. Okay. Um, can you name two Real Housewives? No. Great. You know why? Because I don't care. <laughs> um, if you can go back in time and see any Broadway show, what would it be? It would be Gypsy. Who makes you starstruck? Patti Lapone, Liza Minnelli. Have you ever left a show at intermission? You don't have to tell us what it was. Oh, you mean left? No. Yeah. Okay. I'm not like you. <laughs> I've left like three shows at intermission. I don't. I will literally sit my rear end in that seat and be Well, then like, you did not see Amazing Grace on Broadway. No, I okay. missed it. I missed, then, I missed that crowd pleaser. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, should the farmer and the cowman be friends? Yeah. Yeah! What movie can you watch over and over? Oh my God. Okay. So wait, I can watch. It's called, it's with Demi Moore and Rob Lowe. It's an 80s classic that probably nobody knows about last night. Okay. Um, is there one secret of being in Cats that you can share with us? Um, During the sensual section. No, I can't say this on your podcast. You I can't go. say it. I can't All say right. it. You'll have to tune in for the I after dark I can't say it. You'll have to tune in. Yeah, that's like, okay. no, let me think. Wait, what else is there? Oh, there is some serious backstory in Cats that only people in Cats know. I that's, mean. That's not how theater works. The audience is supposed to know it. I know, but, the, well, they didn't get it in the movie. They, it didn't come across the screen. It didn't come across, but I will say, screen. I have never in any musical been in any musical that had more backstory that had no dialogue in my life. Right. Um, yeah. What role would get you to come back to Broadway? Oh, that would actually, Why? I guess that's going to be it. In my afterlife, I'm going to play at some point. In Gypsy, Mama Rose, honey, is I'm the into one it. role. The other role, I would say that would be like the one. That would be it. I'm to I'm so into it. Limited run, ball change. Roundabout six weeks. And, yeah, we're six show weeks. Rack. Todd Hames, honey, do you hear me? Todd, are you listening? He's not listening. Okay. Um, and finally, what do you need to tell Molly? <laughs> Molly, 
You in danger, girl. Thank you. I love that so much. Okay, Rochelle, tell the people where they can find you and follow you and book a private coaching or just how do we get in touch with Rochelle? Okay. So there's a few a few ways to get in touch with me. I am at Rochelle Rack Sass, S-A-S on Instagram. But you can go to my website, RochelleRack.com. You can also go to SassStorm.com. You can book everything as far as a group, a Zoom, an in-person with masks, honey. If every dancer it, needs to work with Rochelle. Every right? dancer, that's it. Everyone, and I'm telling you, yeah. it's it's something um, that I love and I'm passionate about. And I'm talking about dancing and creating ideas. Don't ever think that you are just a dancer. Don't ever let anyone tell you that. And don't let people put you in a box. So if you want to take a class with me, RochelleRack.com and just reach out, send me an email and I am here for you. And I can't wait to meet you. Rochelle, I love you. Thank you so much for doing this with me today. It was so fun for me. I love you too, Mark. You keep doing everything that you're doing. I love it. I'll keep hustling. And if you're loving the Little Me podcast, remember to rate and subscribe. Ooh, um, and, little Me, honey. Ooh, and follow us on at Little Me Podcast on Instagram. And uh, we love you, Rochelle. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you at the next one. Thank you. I love All you. Right. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash littleme. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.